This is the final episode of Season 2 of Catalyst, an investigative podcast from KXAN News and Nexstar Media Group. I'm Josh Hinkle. This season is about mass shootings in Texas. At least 32 near-consistent attacks across four decades, and the solutions state leaders are still seeking today. One of the first towns targeted in this timeline was Dangerfield, when a gunman named Al King burst into Sunday service at the First Baptist Church and opened fire June 22, 1980. The shooting and the aftermath broadcast live on a local radio station. And people started moving in get the pews, try and get the pews out of the way so they could get in there and get to the wounded. And people started pulling up vans, uh, ambulances came from surrounding towns. And as we filed out, uh, there were relatives of people who were shot. We packed our car with as many people as we could get in it. On the way to the hospital, Judy Pollan's husband, Gary, told her who the shooter was her former co-worker at the town's high school, a fellow teacher known for his angry outbursts, Al King. After that happened, we had deacons on patrol every service. From that day forward, I always will have a knife or two in my pocket at church. Just puts an entirely different perspective on your life and on good and evil particularly. Just really never known such terrible evil. After the shooting, King ran across the street and shot himself in the head. Grazes his skull with a 22 pistol. It was never clear, but many believe that was an accident because he survived. We got out there. Hospital of Pines is a very, very small hospital. They didn't even think about having enough staff. And so I just got in there and got towels and and pitched in and helped. Alvin King was brought out there too, and they undressed him outside before they ever brought him inside to see if he had any more weapons, I guess, on him. At the First Baptist Church in Dangerfield, they tried to drown out the smell of blood with ammonia and repair the bullet-ridden pews. We went back to the church that night and helped pull out the bloody carpet. They had to pull out all the pews. The next day I took our kids up there and we swept up nails and things. I didn't want them to be afraid to go back to their church. Just determined that the devil was not gonna keep us. No, he wasn't gonna win. Your kids were how old at the time? Eight and 10. Our kids were traumatized. When we came home that night, we all slept. We have a king-size bed. We all four of us slept in the same bed for weeks because we just, they were scared to death. For the first time, this house had locks on it, padlocks. In fact, we didn't even lock the doors when we left until that. I mean, that changed everything. It did. When that happened from then on. Even decades later, it's still with you. Till this day, our daughter, who's 49 years old, if there is a big uh, sound at church, it's gonna scare her to death. She was 10 years old and it really traumatized her. Right now, our state is focusing on making sure that people 
like you guys are ready if anything like this ever happens again. Honestly, uh, you can never be ready because it happened so quickly. But I do think training helps a tremendous amount. I do think training helps. I certainly think every church should have security teams. Security teams going to be the first line of defense. We need someone to intercept. If you can just interrupt him briefly even, that gives other people a chance to respond. Ten people were wounded that day, and five were killed, including two of the men who tackled King and forced him out of the sanctuary away from the crowd. Everybody, please sit down. And I said, did Gina die? And he turned around with big old tears, and he said, yes, Gina just died. Cheryl Hendrick also lost her seven-year-old daughter, Gina. She was the last one they took out because she was deceased. They had covered her up. But we got down and I was patting her, telling her how much I loved her and I missed her. It's a pain, it's a void in your life. But you not only deal with the uh, void, the loss of that person, you deal with the trauma of it. And I still wonder, there's a little girl that was sitting in front of me Sunday at church and I thought, she reminds me, because she had long brown hair, about the size of Gina. And I asked her grandmother, I said, how old is she? She said she just turned eight. To me, see, I think that's the way Gina would have been. Forty-six-year-old Alvin Lee King III is charged with the murders and is recovering at a Galveston, Texas hospital. Doctors found King competent to stand trial, so they sent him back here to Morris County. Many people think King had been building up to that day for years. Beyond his fury for his students and the fact that he might have been upset with his former colleagues who attended the church after they refused to be character witnesses in a pending incest trial against him, there was other strange behavior. It was also premeditated because he'd been making plans. Of course, tied his wife up, left her there at, the, at their farm. He'd reportedly applied for Russian citizenship, moved his family to a remote farm outside of town, and in 1966, the same year he moved to Dangerfield, police say he accidentally killed his own father after shooting him in the face with a shotgun. I was just scared to death that he was gonna somehow come back. We were so afraid that he would get off with insanity. King was to stand trial soon for the June 1980 mass murder. When they brought him back, they were transporting him from the jail. I never shall forget in the paper there was a picture of him sticking out his tongue. How arrogant. I've killed these people and I'm sticking out my tongue. And just such total defiance. King had a pretrial hearing the year after the shooting. The first time that radio recording had been played in public. Families of those who had been killed were sitting there. When they started playing the radio tape, you could hear the shots, and then you could hear people crying. And when the relatives heard that, then they all started crying in the courthouse, and the judge called a recess. Apparently, the hearing did get to him. 
since he committed suicide that time. He'd hanged himself in the jail. He did. He sure did. The body of Alvin Lee King III was brought to Dallas shortly before noon today for an autopsy. It appears that King committed suicide in his Morris County jail cell. Apparently had uh, torn uh, some strips off a towel and tied them together. He was hanging from one of his cell bars with a towel wrapped around his neck. Al King committed suicide. And I don't mind telling you, it's the greatest relief in the world because we were so afraid. Federal data on mass violence in the past two years shows 84% of attackers had concerning behavior or communication prior to their attacks. And we've found several similar cases here in Texas dating back decades before that data collection began. Investigators found a diary written by what they called an emotionally disturbed person after another church shooting in Fort Worth in 1999. Most victims appeared to be children. Witnesses say the gunman killed himself inside the sanctuary. A salary dispute and custody battle preceded a workplace shooting in Grand Prairie in 1982. They said he was drinking a lot because he'd been in there quite a few hours. And the man behind an El Paso nightclub attack in 1980 told police he always wondered what it would feel like to shoot someone, sharing that same thought with a hunting buddy just hours before pulling the trigger and killing five people, including Shirlene Masterson's son, Randy. Your son's killer wrote you a letter? Yes. What did he say? He just said he was sorry. Well, nothing much, really. But he was sorry. But it took him over 20 years to, to write that letter. Barry Shvarek was convicted of five counts of murder. Yes. And he is in prison still today. Yes, he is, yes. My heart went out to the, his parents. They sat in, in front of me in the court, you know, right dead in front of me when they said that he would go to jail. I was able to hug her and say, I'm sorry, because we both lost a son that today. You lost yours and I've lost mine. You can never get over it, but you can work your way through it. For Shirlene, it wasn't easy, because at the trial, it seemed like Barry Shavarek didn't even understand people had died. At one point, he said in his mind, he was still just shooting rabbits in the desert with his friend. So Shirlene and her other children worked for years to obtain crime scene photos and a chance to meet with Shavarek in prison. We wanted to know why he did it, why. And if he didn't remember, they went and took out the pictures from the court. They paid a hundred and some odd dollars for them. She keeps the photos in an envelope and didn't want to look as I looked through them. For good reason. They're graphic and gut-wrenching. Bodies piled on top of one another as they fell to the floor of the Starburst Lounge. Her son's eyes staring blankly at the ceiling, shot three times while pushing a woman to safety. They was going to show him the victims at the scene with his gun and him, you know, they 
finally got him down. He hit him over the head with a... Pool cue. Pool cue, whatever. Yes. Photos of the pool cue that stopped Shavarek and pictures of the killer himself. 21 years old, hair tucked behind his ears and down to his shoulders, a maroon windbreaker, and handcuffs. You could see that he had a black eye when they got him down. They held him down till the police got there. The other one took the gun. So they, he could have shot another 15 rounds. In the end, Charlene decided against meeting. It wouldn't change anything. And so these are all the petitions from back then? Yes. You and other family members of people that had been involved in the shooting had written to the parole board to yes. tell them to keep Barry Shabarak in prison? Yes. Mm -hmm. They send us papers, and we just sign the papers why you shouldn't get out. In 2000, he was up for parole, and Sherling believes their efforts helped with his denial. But every few years, it comes up again. This year was different, though. I did not sign the paper this last time. And for the simple reason, I don't want to live with hate anymore. I don't mind now if he gets out. I'm just trusting God that he doesn't let, let him do it again. I've carried this hate in my heart. Maybe I should get rid of it and forgive Barry Shavarik for killing my son. We'll update you ahead of the next legislative session in 2021, as Texas lawmakers continue considering possible solutions to prevent and respond to future attacks. For more details on their progress, to watch our investigative docuseries, and to explore an interactive timeline of shootings, go online now to texasmassviolence.com. Catalyst is reported, produced, and edited by me, Josh Hinkle, along with David Barrer, Ben Freeberg, and Arzo Dost. Special thanks to the University of North Texas for providing access to its NBC5 KXAS collection of TV news broadcasts from the early 1980s. Digital support for this episode comes from Dax Dobbs, Eric Henriksen, Matt Mitchell, Robert Sims, and Kate Winkle. KXAN's news director is Chad Cross, and its vice president and general manager is Eric Glassberg.